0: Hi, this is Ulysses Owens Jr., a Grammy-winning drummer, and you're listening to Behind the Note Podcast with Chris Davis. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis.
1: Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for Press and Play. As usual, we have a great episode for you today. I want to first begin the show by saying thank you. We have some new ratings and reviews on iTunes, and you guys really showed your love this time around. Thank you so much. I'm going to take time right now to read some to you. Uh, This one says, Take Your Music Career to the Next Level by Mr. Anthony Tran. He says, This is a great podcast for musicians. Who are looking to take their business to the next level, learn some great tips from Chris on how to improve your music career on this podcast. Thank you, Anthony Tran. so much matter of fact, uh, I normally don't do this, but hold on I'm gonna I'm a press pause for a second i want I want you guys to know something about Anthony okay, I'm back so Mr. Anthony Tran has a podcast, and I just had to look it up to see what is the title of the podcast. His podcast is called Marketing Access Pass, and it teaches you great tips on how to market. So, right, um, thank you so much, Anthony, for your your review. And now I just refer to your podcast. I don't know Anthony personally, but I, I think we'll be meeting in a few weeks. So I look forward to that. All right, totally went on a tangent there. Sorry about that. Uh, Back to the iTunes reviews. Great Ideas for Musicians. Uh, That's the title of this review by Defeat the Drama. Great information for those trying to keep a living in the music industry. It can be tough to find your way. This podcast provides so many creative and varied ways to get your name and work out into the world while you make a living. Thanks for that review. I really appreciate it. This one says, great show, very informative, the perfect niche for those in the music field. Another says, make your own break. This podcast really levels the playing field for wannabe musicians. Use this podcast to make your own break. Thanks. And that's by Yuper Smith. And you know what? I have so many now that I, I think I'm going to break this up and, and read some more next next episode. It's time now to introduce today's guest. I'm so excited. Today's guest is from Detroit, Michigan, and he's worked with a plethora of great jazz musicians, including Eric Reed, Mulgrew Miller, Cyrus Chestnut, Chick Corea, Winter Marcellus, Roy Hargrove, Joe Henderson, Hank Jones. I can keep reading names for like 10 more minutes because he's worked with everybody. And that just shows that he's a diligent worker. He is currently the head of jazz studies at Michigan State University. And it brings me great pleasure to introduce to you today Mr. Rodney Whitaker. Hi, Rodney. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're glad to have you.
0: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on your show, man. Really appreciate
1: it. Well, we want to take the time to get to know you a little bit. And I want to ask you. Just a basic question. I wanna know how you got started into playing music.
0: Well, I started playing music when I was seven years old, uh, in elementary school and I originally was a violin player and primarily and if I could actually tell the truth, actually my first instrument was trumpet and it lasted for one day. And I remember going uh, to the band, teaching gave me a trumpet to take home and I remember my cheeks hurting from playing trumpet and I came home and told him I didn't have Enough wind to play the trumpet, and so he suggested that I uh, go to the strings class, and I did. And uh, the only instrument they had left was violin.
1: Wow! So when did you make that switch to bass?
0: Um, at age thirteen, middle school, uh, and it's you know essentially kind of similar story that I walked into the to the you know music room on uh, first day of eighth grade, and my music teacher decided I was going to be a bass player because. In the previous years, all the bass players graduated, and uh, and I was resistant and reluctant and really unhappy for about a month. And he he told me, "Hey, like, look, man, you better play this bass, and one day you're gonna make some money playing this bass." So I'm Whoa. glad he made me play bass.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it sounds like that he was a, a prophet <laughs> for sure. So when did you get serious about music? I don't I don't know if you were serious from the beginning. If not, when did you? Get serious.
0: I think I think. really, you know, the bass, I think probably midway through the second semester of eighth grade, um, I was always pretty much a, a serious kid anyway, you know, pretty studious uh, student. However, I think playing a bass kind of, uh, you know, growing up in Detroit, where there's such a rich Detroit tra- tradition, I had a, a neighbor named Charles Brown who had a, a very uh, extensive jazz collection. Saw me walking down the street with the upright bass, a half size bass, stopped me and um, told me that, hey, look, man, check out these two records. So he gave me a recording of uh, John Coltrane's Soul Train and Miles Davis' Seven Steps to Heaven. And informed me that two bass players on those records are both from Detroit, and it was Ron Carter and Paul Chambers. And... You know, I put on the Miles one, and they were playing real fast, and you know, I listened to it and Seven Steps, and I was way over my head. And then I put on John Coltrane's record, where they had to the tune Good Bait. It was a catchy melody, so I liked that melody really instantly. But then Paul Chambers played his bass solo, and that was it. And uh, I remember announcing to my parents the next morning that I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I told them I wanted to be Paul Chambers. And uh, I think I spent every waking hour after that pursuing being
1: a jazz musician. Wow, that's an incredible story. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I'm already seeing a a common theme here. Um, After you sharing that story and after talking to some other people, it seems that many successful musicians have a focus that begins to develop at a young age and they don't. Simply don't lose that focus. They work toward it until they accomplish that their goals.
0: Well, I agree. I agree with that totally. I mean, I think about being a young man. I was. I really already knew uh, at thirteen that I wanted to be a jazz musician, and it was my soundtrack. You know, I felt like there was a void in my life before I really, really heard jazz, and I, you know, and I was, you know, I always lean towards, you know. You know, if you could say more serious music, you know I like classical music when I was growing up, but I also liked uh, kind of the r b music that had deeper meaning or just songs that had a deeper meaning and lyrics and that kind of thing as a kid because my parents always talked about me being serious about life and when in school however, you know uh, i I really never wanted to be anything else other than a jazz musician, and that started that started at thirteen I, you know, I didn't have a contingency plan, backup plan, or something to fall back on. I was going to be a jazz musician. That was my goal.
1: Will you tell us a little bit, I want to know, what are some key events, or who are some key people, that helped to make you the person you are, as, as far as your character?
0: Well, I think, I think, you know, I'm the youngest of, of eight children, and I think, um, you know, growing up in a family, you know, having a mother and a father in the household um, was, a you know, had a profound effect, you know, because family was always important to be. But also when you're a baby of a big family, you get a lot of attention and you get nurtured a certain way. And I think that it helps. You know, I think if you look at families, a lot of the younger children in the family, the youngest child of the family, are, a lot of times they're successful because they have... Uh, they have a lot of love and nurturing around them. And uh, I think that has an effect. So my, I would say, first, probably my mother and father, and then my sisters and brothers have had helped to shape my personality. And then I always had great teachers. You know, I had a teacher named Donald Washington who met a group of uh, youth students from across the city called Bird Train School now in Detroit, which is a group I grew up playing, and with James Carter grew up in that group as well. And uh, a lot of prominent young players from Detroit grew up playing in that group. Also attended workshops in the summer with uh, with Marcus Belgrade, you know, who taught Jerry Allen and Bob Hurst and Kenny Garrett, you know, just to name a few. And then uh, also, um, you know, just growing up in a great public school environment with a teacher named Ed Quick that was very near- nurturing, my band director, and a great Steve Strings teacher named Jerome Stassen. And then a, I had a, you know, really a great, uh, we had an artist in residence, resident by the name of Herbie Williams, who was really, uh, you know, the guy who taught me theory and got me into improv and walking bass lines, really kind of got the foundation together. But as you see, I'm naming so many different people. I mean, it really was a, found. you know, it was like a village that raised me. And then beyond that, you know, I also had the opportunity to then get nurtured by you know most of the you know Detroit scene people like Ken Cox and Carol McKinney and and uh, you know, there's just so many people from Detroit that you know raised me to be a jazz musician and an educator I would say.
1: Well, I'm looking at your your uh, biography that you have posted online, and I mean the list of people that you've worked with is really incredible. Uh, well, first of all, because it's so many people, and it's it's pretty impressive um, it just I think that shows your uh, diligence in your work um, i want to ask you i want to ask you, how did you get from being that thirteen year old kid to working with so many great professionals today
0: well i think I think for me, you know uh, I think growing up in Detroit was a great town, and you know What happened to me initially is very early out as a bass player, I started working around my hometown at the age of 16. And the nice thing about Detroit is there's so many great musicians from there, and they all used to essentially come back. So by the time I was 19 years old, I had already worked with Tommy Flanagan, uh, Barry Harris, Charles McPherson, Curtis Fuller, um, you know, Louis Hayes, Roy Brooks, you know, I mean, I can name all of the kind of people who went on to be famous um, from the town. And I had an opportunity to work with many of them, you know, by the time I was 19 years old, Daddy Carter, because they would come back, you know, a lot to, to our hometown. So I got a chance to work with all those folks. But because of that experience, you know, like sort of your reputation as a musician, how kind of to get out there, and then at, at uh, well, the next step was really at uh, 20 years old. I had a regular gig, uh, and the nice thing about Detroit, you know, when you grow up in this place, people make it make it your responsibility. You know, you kind of learned that earlier that it's to help kind of nurture the next cats coming up. So I created, as a young guy, I created a jam session. Um, every Thursday night at a place in Detroit called JMG's Lounge. I don't think it exists anymore. But this is one of the places where a lot of the young guys my age would come and sit in, and I had a young rhythm section playing with me. And uh happened to be driving, and this was pre-cell phone. I was driving to, to the gig in Detroit. I was listening to local jazz uh, local jazz station. And uh, Terrence Blanchard and Donald Harrison, you know, Trump and and alto saxophone player, heard them on the radio, and uh, they were saying that their bass player, Reginald Bill had just left the band to play with Winston Marcellus, and they were looking for a bass player. So I stopped my car at a payphone, and I gave them a call, and I invited them down to my gig, you know, with the hopes that they would like my playing and give me the gig. However, uh, Terrence Blanchard didn't come down, but um, Donald Harrison did, and uh, he liked my playing. And at the time, he invited me you know, to New York to sit in with them so Terrence could hear me play, that kind of deal. And then a couple months went by, I didn't hear from him, and I heard that Bob Hurst, who was uh, in Winton's bed, who, who had lost a gig uh, to go, and was playing with them. So I was kind of heartbroken, I heard that. And uh, Bob is so much a better bass player more, more um, experience. I just felt that I lost my my gig. But the nice thing, a couple months later, he got the gig with Tony Williams. And um, so I heard from those guys, and they called me about going to Europe with them on tour and invited me over to Chicago to the Jazz Showcase to sit in with them. And um, I went and sat in, and immediately Terrence... And Donald both offered me the gig, and that was really kind of how I got on the scene in New York because I got a chance to play with some very great young musicians who were very visible, and that kind of helped me, you know, really to kind of launch a career. But it was uh, in that band was Carl Allen on drums and Cyrus Chestnut, and there was two guys that I went out. I've been working with those guys. That was twenty five years ago.
1: Wow, that's that's an incredible story. And without uh, Cyrus Chestnut and Donald Harrison, I wouldn't be playing music today. I used to watch those guys late night as a a young teenager on uh, BET. Uh, They called it Bet on Jazz. Oh, yeah. You remember that? Oh, (laughs) Oh, man. I used to love staying up late just to watch them. And uh, they had a great influence on me through that television show. So uh, great work. I want to ask you how did you how did you have uh, okay you didn't say it but you implied that at some point you developed a relationship that you were able to pull over your car and call Donald Harrison on the phone. Uh, when did that happen? How did that go down?
0: Well, really, they were they were on the radio show uh, on a radio station in Detroit called WDT. So I just you know I, I knew the on air number because I called there frequently. So I just called the on-air number, and they would take calls, and they took my call, fortunately. And the DJ Ed Love, who's still alive, who is uh, who was probably one of the people that influenced me as well, because he played so much great music on the radio, uh, put them on the phone. And I and you know I think primarily because I had the relationship with Ed, that really led to me being able to get, you know. Get to you know. Because had I just been some random guy that he wasn't familiar with, he probably would have uh, put me on the phone to talk to him.
1: Oh, I see. That makes that makes sense. Okay. Oh, okay. I want to ask you another question. What does it take, in your opinion, to be a working musician of excellence today?
0: Well, I mean, I think I think that dedication to your craft. You know, um, I I would always tell you know young musicians starting out. Really, to get a, get, find a mentor and a teacher. That's really the first step because, in order to be a jazz musician, you have to go through another jazz musician or several jazz musicians so that you know what the standard is, so that you know how to practice, you know the things to work on, you learn repertoire and tunes and things like that, kind of like the standard barriers for being a musician. But beyond that, it's also about developing relationships with other musicians. You know, some. Folks say that you're the sum of your relationships. And I think that that served me well as a, as a young musician because, you know, in the beginning, I would rehearse with everybody. I would learn everybody's book. And, I, you know, growing up in Detroit, I was probably the number one sub, you know, the number one sub. I subbed in everybody's band. I subbed for every bass player that was older than me. And I got together with a lot of those, you know, older jazz musicians, and I learned their book. I learned their charts, so if they needed a bass player, who were they going to call? So that's what I think first is really developing relationships. And then second, I think, I think, you know, I look at, not just second, but I think about, you know, young Christian McBride. I remember when he got on the scene in New York, he was 17, and he was rehearsing with everybody. And so it made sense, I mean, that if they needed a bass player, if their regular guy couldn't make it, you call Chris McBride, as they called him back then. And, you know, so I, I've used that in my life as well, that you got to develop relationships and get to know other musicians and be willing to play before you can develop your own voice. Be willing to be a side man in other other bands and, and to go through that as part of the rite of passage.
1: Thank you. That's such great advice. I wanted to ask you also, this is, I guess this is kind of for me, I, don't, I guess I'm being a little selfish now, but... I love Winton. I love Winton Marcellus. I follow his career. How how did you end up playing with Winton?
0: Well, I actually met Winton Marcellus when I was uh, six years, sixteen years. Old, I said six years old, but that's kind of a joke too. I always say I met him and he walked across the street and bought me an ice cream cone. It's always <laughs> my joke. He told me about jazz. But I actually was uh, sixteen years old when I met him, and he was he was uh, on the road playing classical music, and he was performing with the Detroit Symphony doing the Haydn and humble trumpet concertos. And, uh, I remember going to the, the, the open rehearsal and I got a chance to meet him. And he looked at me and he said, man, you're a serious cat, man. He said, I bet you, you know, I went and talked about that. I bet you the women love you, man. So after that, you know, uh, I would run into him when he would come into Detroit and he would always call me the serious cat. Cause I would always be talking about the music and the emotional aspect of the music. And, uh, the first time he asked me to join a band, I was his band, I was like 23, I think I was, 23, 24 years old. I was playing with Roy Hargrove, and I was having a good time doing that, and I turned it down. But I think on a certain level, I was probably scared to play in his band, because I heard that he was just such a tough guy to work for, and I knew some people who had got fired from the group. So I think I was really kind of scared to join, because Roy liked playing, and I had the, the steady gig with Roy, so I turned it down. But probably about three years later, uh, I ran into him in New Orleans and I had just put out my first recording. And he was complimenting me on how much he loved my recording and then asked me if I had any students, you know, any up-and-coming cats or students or anything that that, that he, I could recommend to play in his band. And I grabbed his hand and said, look, man, I'll play in your band. And so he called me for, you know, the gig and I started working in Lincoln Center Jazz and playing in his sub tech, but it was really it goes back to relationships. And uh, the fact that I turned them down some years before, he didn't think I wanted to gig or wanted to play with him or that kind of deal. But it but uh I did and I I played with him for about seven and a half years.
1: So what what led you to to stop playing after seven years?
0: Well, you know, the the thing is when you're a musician, man, it's like everything has a shelf life. You know, the average band is three to five years. I mean if you look at Miles's you know, Miles had a band from fifty seven to about sixty three, you know, that band stayed together probably longer than most bands. And then, you know, that was almost six years, five and a half, six years. And then the next band stayed together for five years. And then the most of the other bands he had were shorter. But that's really the shelf life of a band, and at that point, it's time for you to do something else. You have to, you have to move on. I mean, Cannonball Adderley's band stayed together. The first band was together for about five years to about the '65 or so. So, and then other people started coming into the band, so it's not the same band. But that's that's really the shelf life, I and mean, and I just believe sometimes, like when you, when your heart is, you know, sometimes your heart is moving in a different place. And at that time, I was more interested in really developing my education program at Michigan Jazz, education program at Michigan State. Sometime in the middle of working in and I was appointed the director of jazz studies at Michigan State and was, you know, on the road a lot and trying to run a jazz program. And it just got to the point where I wanted to shift my focus into that and really getting that off the ground. And now I'm in the process of, I'm still going to teach, and that's really important to me. But I'm also now really focusing uh, on my, my own personal career as a professional musician again. But it's, it's really, you know, I feel like when it's time for you to move on from things, you have to. Because, you know, then you become a drag in someone's band, and you're not contributing anything creative, creatively. You know, just making a gig because it's, you make money. That's not what music is
1: about. Oh, I agree. I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree with you so much on that. I'll, go ahead. Though, yeah, sorry. it was just.
0: It was just time to go. I mean, I had seven and a half years in the band. It was a great experience. I went all over the world. Learned a lot about music. I learned a lot about leadership from Winton. But it was, you know, it's one of those times. It was time for me to fly and be a leader.
1: Oh yes. Oh, will you tell us a couple of uh, lessons that you learned from that experience?
0: Well, I mean, the thing is, like, if you if you work with Wynton, you you will you watch him, and this guy wears so many hats. I mean, he's a leader, you know. He's the CEO of, uh, you know, essentially the biggest uh, jazz organization in the world. Uh, he has the ability to communicate, you know, and express his ideas verbally. Uh, he has the ability to to interpret music. He can write and arrange. He can write for orchestra. I just I think the number one lesson that I learned is that you have to be very versatile to be successful as a musician. And you really have to have your pedagogical skills together. You have to have your, your arranging skills together, your writing, right? compositional skills together. You have to just, I mean, you have to be everything. If you want to be successful, and you have to be able to communicate your ideas and thoughts clearly. I mean, I think the, the bar has been raised. I think he raised the bar for what's demanded of being a jazz musician. And you have to be disciplined. Number one is discipline.
1: Wow, those are really great lessons. I mean, you've, you share so much with us. I have some other questions, but I'm not even going to ask them because <laughs> you've, you've, you've really said plenty, uh, giving us a lot to think about. Thank you. Yes. Will you tell us what you're working on currently?
0: Right now I have a, I have a new group called Solar Energy. And uh, I took that title from the Ray Brown recording that he put out in the 70s called Solar Energy. But the idea is that, you know, blues, swing, it could be funk, it could be a little bit of in- anything, but it's all about energy and rhythm. And um, I have a new CD out on Mack Avenue that comes out August 19th. And that that group uh, features Greg Hutchison on drums, Antonio Hart on alto and soprano sax, Bruce Barth on piano and my daughter Raquel Fonten singing and so we do a little bit of everything there's a little bit of R&B flavor and there's a lot of swing and uh, that's my new project and I'm hitting the road this fall
1: oh yeah that sounds that sounds like fun well I want to say thank you Rodney for joining us today you've been a really great inspiration for us and we appreciate having you
0: no problem Chris thank you for having me anytime
1: that was our talk with Mr. Rodney Whitaker bassist based out of Detroit, Michigan and what a great talk Mr. Whitaker has given us so many great tips on how to have a successful music career I'm just going to take a moment now and point out some of them number one, he went back to the importance of having relationships Uh, he talked about having a mentor to develop you and he, he said that it's pretty much almost required if you want to have a, a great career. He said that you need to go through a jazz musician if you want to become a jazz musician. But fill in the blank. Maybe you don't want to play jazz. Maybe you want to play rock and roll, uh, classical music, gospel music, R&B, whatever style of music you want to pursue. Go through someone who's doing that now. Something else that he pointed out is that he made a decision for him. It was early on. Uh, he was a teenager, about 13 years old. So for you, you also need to make a decision and, and then commit. He didn't say commit, but his actions show that he committed by, by practicing, by learning other people's music. And he worked so hard that he became the first call sub, which led to, to his success so i hope that today was helpful for you i hope you enjoyed the content today thank you so much for pressing play and we'll see you in the next episode